churches all over the world. So usually when they start one of these Zoom meetings, they say, hey, everybody, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or whatever it is the case may be, because um, we literally have people all around the world. It's, it's actually pretty fun, um, but that's not what I want to talk about today. Um, continuing the theme of Advent, week four, we're going to talk about love. Um, family that came up here and did the Advent wreath this morning, marvelous job, yes, yes, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat what they had read because that's going to be part of the theme of the message this morning. So turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Micah 5 or open up your phones, tablets, smartwatches, your Google device. And starting in verse 2, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. May the Lord God add his blessing upon the reading and the expounding of his holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I also want to continue on with the, what, what is known in, in many circles as the Magnificent, Mary's Song of Praise, and I'm going to expound a lot on that as well. How many of you have read it and glossed over it? Okay, I'm guilty of that, all right? Because you think, okay, she's singing a prayer after she's been called blessed by her cousin Elizabeth. Okay, who cares? You know what? You should, and I do too. But sometimes, yeah, I'm guilty. Okay, how many of you have fallen asleep reading the books of Chronicles? Okay, good cure for insomnia sometimes. But you know what? If you're reading the Word of God and He puts you to sleep, is that a bad thing? But anyway, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." Now, I think it's important to understand some parallels with Judah and specifically with Bethlehem and the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Not just that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but let's understand a couple of things that are pointed out in Scripture and, of course, in history about the city of David, okay? That's what they also call it, right? Bethlehem, the city of David. Why is it called the city of David? Well, read through Chronicles. It'll tell you. David grew up there. It was known as the city of David because that's where David was crowned the second king of Israel. 
But Jesus is the what? Son of David, is he not? In fact, Jesus, when he called out the Pharisees and said, who is the Messiah, what did the Pharisees say? He's the son of David. They just didn't realize that they were talking to the son of David. So whereas Bethlehem was the city of David, Jesus is the son of David, king of kings, lord of lords. Bethlehem was a small town, but it was also a mighty town. Jesus was a meek soul here on earth, but also the almighty. Imagine that. Bethlehem had humble beginnings, but it is now world-renowned. Okay? Think of how many people have been to Bethlehem, especially during this time of year. Now, I have not, but who here? Can anybody tell me what it's like Bethlehem this time of year? It's crowded. It's full. Right. Typically, it's extremely crowded. Everyone wants to get that small glimpse of, of, of that birthplace of our Lord and Savior, right? Had humble beginnings, but was world-renowned. Guess what? Jesus Christ, he had humble beginnings, but he transformed the world. Okay? Bethlehem was from the tribe of Judah, but it was also from the least of the clans. And yet Jesus, from the city of David, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Imagine that. Okay? Now, back up a step and look at some of the things that happened around Mary, okay? And how blessed she truly was. Now, you're going to have some in certain circles that are going to exalt Mary a little higher than she ought to be. And yet, you're going to have others who are almost going to deny her existence to avoid worshiping her. Okay? Let me tell you something. They're both wrong. Mary was blessed. That is absolutely true. Mary was obedient. Mary was an example for all of us. Mary was humble, and yet most of all, Mary was grateful. I think back to, to, to when she was brought before the angel, and the angel told her all this, okay, that you're going to give birth, and she says, how can this be? I've not had a man. Okay, yes, I believe in the virgin birth, okay? And I think back to when the angel explained what was going to happen to her, and what did she say? Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. All right, now... If you were given a wonderful gift, what do most people say? Oh, you shouldn't have. Let's use Mary as an example this Christmas season when you are given a gift and just say thank you. The humility behind Mary was amazing here. God had looked to her soul and said, this is a willing, worthy vessel that I can use to have my son brought forth into the world. So whatever gift you have been given, don't say, oh, you shouldn't have. That's not what she told God. With that amazing gift, she said, thank you. Now, Pastor Tim Keller, he said, you are more sinful than you ever thought you were. And you are more loved than you ever dreamed you could be. I saw those words earlier this week, and I thought the depth of that statement is so profound. It has to be repeated over and over and over. Okay, now, how many of you, before you were transformed by the love of God, thought that you were an okay person? Okay, yeah. Well, I went to church. 
I give a little bit in the offering. I'm a nice guy. I don't steal. I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't do all those things that everybody else does. It sounds like that Pharisee, doesn't it? Okay? But believe it or not, you were more sinful than you ever thought you could have been. Okay? Because God looks objectively at all of us, and yet you are more loved than you are dreamed you could ever be. Okay, now, there are some types of love. I don't have it up on the screen, so Hannah, you're okay right now. By the way, she's doing a great job on, on the boards. I've been teaching her for a couple of weeks. She's been doing great. Now, of course, we all know that there's that romantic love, okay? The, oh, I'm so in love, pitter-patter, okay? All right? Now, how, how many of you have, have, have a mate or are in love with someone, okay? You don't have to raise your hands. It's okay. I love you, dear. There's that romantic love, and it is a wonderful thing, okay? There's also that brotherly love, okay? Now, I might have hinted once in a while that I served in the United States Marine Corps, and for those of you who saw a certain movie, they'll say, every day to the day you die, every Marine is your brother, and it's very true. There is that brotherly bond, okay? And, and that's not necessarily true of just the Marine Corps of all the different branches of the military, first responders, or just those who do certain things together, okay? Um, pastor Kevin called me Pastor Andy. That's okay. I don't take any offense to that. I was a youth minister probably before he was born, okay? But I repented of it. I'm kidding. <laughs> but there's that brotherly bond that Pastor Kevin and I have, Okay? Because every once in a while, I'll share a few experiences with them and let them know, hey, be careful of these areas here in, in, in your ministry, okay? There's also what you call a motherly love, all right? Now, does anybody out here have a mother or have ever had them? I think it's all of us, right? And a lot of you are mothers. How many of you that are mothers would give your very lives for the sake of your own children? I'm pretty sure that's 100%, isn't it? It's amazing the, just the, the, the yearning that a mother has that we dads can't understand. But there's also fatherly love, okay? Now, you may not realize it, kids. Walk it off. Just rub some dirt on it. It's just a scratch. That's fatherly love. It really is. It is fatherly love. Why? Because what a father does... See, the, have you ever noticed something about a mother? How does she... Young girls, how do they carry their books? Like this. Why? Because that's how they carry a baby also, close to their heart. How, do, how does a dude carry his books? Right here. Mm. Why? Come on, let's go. Walk it off. But a fatherly love is important just the same. Because a fatherly love will help toughen you up and balance out with the compassion and the endearing of the motherly love. This, this is the beauty of God. But all of those loves combined are nothing compared to godly love, to the love of God. It's amazing. I can't even comprehend it. We'll never comprehend it until we reach the other side, okay? Let me make that plain. But you can do your best to fathom it as best you can, okay? But know this. Among all of that, love is not 
a feeling. I'm going to say this for emphasis again. Love is not a feeling. It is an action. It is what you do, okay? Yes, your heart goes pitter-patter when you see that person that's the love of your life. I'm looking at my wife. Okay, love creates the pitter-patter, but love is not the pitter-patter, okay? When you see a young mother with her beautiful baby holding the baby in her arms, what do you see in her eyes? You see love in her eyes for that child. But the feeling is not the love. The feeling is that byproduct of love. Love is what you do. And a mother will love her children by raising them and nurturing them and caring for them and making them eat their vegetables. Okay? Because it's what the mother does. You know, I'm gonna, go ahead, moms. I'm going to say, because the mothers love you, they're going to make you eat your vegetables. Amen. Okay? And yes, i got to eat my vegetables too. <laughs> but let me tell you something, okay? God loves the lowest among us. He truly loves the lowest among us. All right? The city of David. Let's go back to Bethlehem for a minute. Okay? What was it known for back in the day? Shepherding. Okay? Now, I know that some of you have some livestock. I know uh, Eric, for example, has bacon seeds that he raises. Beautiful little bacon seeds, yes. You don't know what a bacon seed is? It's a piglet. And you grow it up, and then you turn it into bacon. Magical powers that they transform into bacon. It's great. But shepherd, anybody keep sheep? No? When I lived in Baker County, there were some people who kept sheep. Okay? If you think pigs are dirty, you haven't seen sheep and what they do. Pigs, pigs are dirty, but sheep are dirty and stupid. They are. They are dumb as a box of rocks, and, and, and that's, that's insulting the box and the rocks, okay? And oh, by the way, those who keep sheep, they're known as what? Shepherds, right? Have you ever hung around a, a shepherd? Okay, shepherd right here. They're smelly. Why? Because the sheep are both dumb and dirty, and they got to keep the sheep, and the sheep are smelly, and so therefore the shepherds are smelly. It's not a pretty thing, okay? And yet, God is our shepherd. Let's think about a sheep for a moment. What does a sheep sometimes do when he is not being led around? He goes astray. He goes astray. He goes and does whatever he thinks. But again, he goes astray, but he's stupid, okay? So God goes out and searches for us. He finds us. And if we've been making a habit of being stupid, what does the shepherd do to the sheep? He will break his legs. And then he will pick that sheep up and put him on his shoulders and carry him wherever that sheep needs to go until he heals. And during that time, the shepherd is talking to the sheep and training the sheep. What did Jesus say? My sheep know my... Why? Why does the sheep know his voice? Because the legs are broken, he's up on the shoulders, and he's talking to the sheep. That's the beauty of what Jesus does. And he loves the lowest among us, the lowly, smelly, dirty, stupid sheep. 
go back to saying, okay, if you don't think you're a sheep, remember that you are more sinful than you thought you were, or you were more sinful. If you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you're not. But you're also loved more than you can dream. So Jesus came to be among us as one of us to prove his love for us and to save the lowest among us. Okay? There is nothing more humble than being born in the way that Jesus was born. Think about that, all right? You see the manger scenes. You usually see a stable. I got news for you. I don't think there was a stable that night. Okay? Mangers were placed outside of inns and taverns and other public places along the streets of various places so that when you tied the animal up to a hitching post, be it a donkey or a horse or whatever animal that you were using to bring yourself and your equipment in with you, you tie it up to the hitching post, and there on the other side of the hitching post, so the animal could go, hmm, food or drink. There is no mention of a stable in the Bible about Jesus' birth. So I'm, I'm going to wager that Jesus was born in the open street and then placed in a manger. What is a manger? It's a feeding trough. So he's having to compete for space in a feeding trough with whatever animals are hitched up to it. Pretty humble beginnings. And oh, by the way, yes, I have witnessed childbirth nine times. Nine of my 12 children were born to us, and I was there for every one of them. It's not a pretty sight. It's a remarkable sight. But even in today's sterile medical environment, it is not a pretty sight. So imagine that out in the open in a busy street and the mess of childbirth happening, the miracle of childbirth happening, and then placing the baby in a feeding trough. And oh, by the way, the son of a carpenter, okay? Jesus Christ came into this world of no renown, and yet he was the king of kings. If he was born in a palace, okay, any of you all ever uh, watched the royalty up in Britain? And what happens? News reports and tabloid magazines and pictures galore and everything else and everything all wonderful. But if Jesus was born into royalty, what would the common man think of him when he walked out and said, here I am, I'm here to save you. A lot of people would have said, whatever. But Jesus Christ came in humble beginnings, not just to be among us, but to identify with us. He lived that humble life. In fact, there were times that he was homeless. Does it ever say he went to his home in the Gospels? He ate with the reprobate. And he was called out for that sometimes among the Pharisees that he ate with publicans and sinners. Well, you know, <laughs> I got news for you, Pharisees. It's a good thing I wasn't Jesus Christ or living at that time. Because I would have said, well, you know what, Pharisees? You are more sinful than you thought you would be. <laughs> um, but see, that's the love of God. He never did that. And he also forgave the seemingly unforgivable. Think about Peter, okay? When he first was introduced to Peter, Jesus said, hey, put me out on the boat. Let me talk to the people. Now that I'm done, okay, hey, let's go out and get some fish. 
So they brought in the nets. The nets almost broke because they had such a haul, even though Peter just didn't have the faith for it at times. He had the obedience, but not the faith. And yet, here comes Peter with this haul of fish, and he realizes that he's among a whole lot of sinners, and there standing in front of him is the king of kings. And what did he do? He said, get away from me. I'm a sinner. And yet Jesus forgave him. And he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. This is a good thing. He forgave the woman. Now, usually when you think about the woman in in the biblical context, context, you think about the woman that was taken in adultery, right? He never said anything. Again, be grateful I wasn't Jesus Christ. He never said anything about, um, where's the dude? He never said anything about, you guys set her up? Is this a trap? Okay, Fourth Amendment, throw the case out. He didn't do anything about that. All he did was forgive the one that was seemingly unforgivable. In fact, Jesus forgave a great many women. Back in that day, women were not held in very high esteem, which is wrong, but it was truth, and yet he forgave them. And when he was hanging on the cross, what was he doing? What was one of the things he said? Father, forgive who? Them. The people who were putting him on the cross, he was forgiving them. Would you be able to forgive your executioner? And he also forgave you and me. Did we deserve it? No. But he did anyway. Now let's go back to some of the things that Mary said here. I'm going to list out a couple of things. And I think it's important. One of the things that Mary said he did, he was mindful of the humble. Proverbs 3.34 It says, he mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Now, I love a good comedy routine, but I think we have to be careful sometimes laughing at other people's expense. Let's be careful about that. Okay? I mean, you know, again, going going back to the whole thing about fatherly love, you trip over, hey, you walk much? Well, you know what? If your kid is hurt, that's not the time to say it. Let's be careful about that. He was merciful to those who fear him. He performed mighty deeds. Now, do I need to list out the mighty deeds that were, li- that were up to that point? Do we need a list at all? I mean, just start thinking in your own mind about all the mighty deeds that God has done. Start with creation. He spoke the world into existence. Amazing. He spoke you and me into existence by forming us out of clay into his own image. He breathed into us the breath of life, and man became a living soul. No other animal is a living soul because we are the only creatures on earth that have God's borrowed breath. Isn't that amazing? He performed mighty deeds. He scattered the proud. He brought down rulers. He lifted the humble. He satisfied the hungry. Now, back when I was a youth minister, back before Kevin was born, one of the things that my youth group would do with me is we would go out to the homeless shelter in Washington, D.C. Okay? I don't know if you've ever been to that place. It is about two blocks down from what is now considered the Trump Hotel. 
it was the International Plaza Hyatt or something like that before then. Grandiose, beautiful, all in lights, trees and everything. It was just gorgeous. Go two blocks down and you are in the squalor of a city. And we're out there, we're feeding the homeless, we're sharing the gospel. Sometimes people would bring their guitar and we'd sing some songs. And we do what we can to lead people to Christ and show the love of God through action instead of just the pitter-patter. But one of the things that was so telling, and I invite you to try this for yourself, as you're feeding the hungry, what do they do? Yeah, they'll express gratitude, but they're going to start stuffing their faces because they are hungry. It's possible that their previous meal was six days ago. They're going to start stuffing their faces. And and then you're going to give them another bag of sandwiches, and they're going to start stuffing their faces again. And they're going to keep eating until they are satisfied. But I got news for you. Jesus Christ will bring more satisfaction than just a few sandwiches. That does not excuse you from bringing sandwiches to the hungry. Okay? That's why we have things like the... The, um, the food baskets, the drive that we're doing, okay? That's why we have things domestically, such as various toy charities for Christmas, so things like that. Yes, we're always going to have the poor among us, but that does not excuse us from not helping and being the instrument that God has given of love to others in need. You don't have to worry about how somebody got poor. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't sweat that, okay? Stop listening to the talk show hosts about, well, they're poor because they did stupid choices, Okay, you know what? But for the grace of God, there go we, right? So it doesn't matter how they got there. If you want to show the love of God, there are times when it requires action on your part to reach a hand out and help somebody in need. All right? He helped Israel. And the most important piece, I think, here is he fulfilled his promises. Okay? Be careful when you promise something to somebody. You should hold it. But I think the most important thing is that Jesus Christ loved the unlovable. Now, I sent a preview of what I was going to talk about to Pastor uh, Brian. He said, oh, I don't know. And then he read the text. He said, okay. So I'm going to bring up some pictures of some people that Jesus loves and loved. Okay? Let's have the first one. Jesus Loved Adolf Hitler. I'm sorry, he did. He may be the most hated man on earth, but Jesus still loved him. Here's the next one. Anybody know who this one is? That is Vlad the Impaler. If you're known as an impaler, you're not doing some very nice things. You're not showing a whole lot of love, are you? But Jesus loved him too. How about one from Europe, from from Western Europe? Jesus loved Jack the Ripper. There is no question in my mind at all that Jesus loved him too. And how about one from our own day and age? Jesus loved Osama bin Laden. Yes, he was a murderous thug. And that's the most kind thing I can say about him, except that Jesus loved him too. You can go ahead and take that down now. We need to love the unlovable. 
Even the most hated among us, God has loved, has always loved, and will always love. Period. Now, Romans 5 tells us this. Starting in verse 6, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still wallowing in sin, while the drug addict was still shooting himself up, while the young lady was walking into a clinic, while the homeless person was living in his own blood and waste just to try to stay warm, while the woman taken in adultery, along with the dude, Jesus Christ still loved them then, and he still loved you then, and he died for us while we were still sinners. You couldn't have earned it, and therefore, he loved you back then. So what was Jesus Christ's purpose? He came to earth in love. He lived his life in love. He died in love. Again, forgiving even while he was being executed. He rose again in love, and he commissioned us in love. 1 John 3, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Imagine being called the Son of God when you didn't deserve a thing. How much more, then, should we love those around us, even and especially the unlovable? Kayla, come on up. Because when you have the love of God, then the hope and the peace and the joy that we've been speaking of the last few weeks will come naturally. Let's look at that again. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Now, I am nobody's singer. I may be somebody's poet, but I'm nobody's singer. But I'm going to sing this to you. And then we're all going to sing. Okay, so I'm going to demonstrate real quick, and then everybody's going to join me here. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. Okay, now what's going to happen is I'm going to start singing. You men join me. And when the ladies join in, you're going to join the ladies, ladies. All right, you ready? Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the sons of God. 
that we should be called the sons of God, that we should be called the sons of God, that we should be called the sons of God. Holy Lord God Almighty, we thank you for the love that you have given us. We ask, Lord, that you will embed your love. Let it find its lodging place in our hearts, that your love can then shine forth from us in love, in words, in action, in everything we say, in everything we do. Let us be your instruments of love, peace, joy, and hope this holiday season and every day through all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.